Daniel 9 is a chapter that's uh, somewhat famous, um, but for two reasons, um, for, for its prayer and for its prophecy. The first half of the book of Daniel chapter 9 uh, is, is about this amazing prayer of the prophet Daniel. Uh, it's great. It's worth studying this prayer. And then the prophecy is the latter part of the chapter. And it's one of the prophecies that's really incredible. The first half, Daniel prays about the 70 years of captivity that they're in as, as the Jews are there in Babylon in that time. But God shows up and says, Daniel, forget the 70 years. Let me tell you about 77 year periods. And it's called the 70 weeks of Daniel prophecy. And it's powerful and important. We'll be looking at that you know, next week uh, as we continue through the Bible. But, uh, but I'd like to zoom in to this prayer a little bit. We'll look at the whole prayer on Wednesday night. But there's a phrase in here that is essential, I think, to our understanding of our relationship with God. And Daniel gets it. Daniel's a guy that we can learn from in so many ways. One of the things about Daniel is he's a guy that got a lot of ink in the Bible. Um, there's a lot about Daniel, but he's one of the few guys that gets a lot of ink, but doesn't get any record of sin in his life. Now we know he was a normal guy, so he did have sins, but, but the Bible doesn't tell us about that, which is unusual. Um, the Lord doesn't take his you know, stained glass characters and make them all perfect in the Bible. Um, even the best of the best, David, Amazing guy for sure, king and, and you know, the, it'd be the son of David, the descendants of David where the Messiah would come. I mean, David's amazing, but he's also an adulterer and a murderer and a liar. And the Bible records all of that stuff. Moses lost his temper and called everybody morons. And, and, uh, and then he said, must we fetch water for you? Like he and God were doing the work together. Even though water came only from God, Moses is like putting himself in that place of like, like me and God, we're helping you guys out. We'll talk about that in a minute. Abraham, he messed up. He was the father of the Jewish nation. But man, Abraham, you know, he went into uh, the city of Egypt there in Pharaoh's uh, land and, and he was so freaked out. His wife was beautiful. So he said, hey, just tell him you're my sister because they'll probably want you for the harem and I don't want to die. So tell him you're my sister. Like that's a tough, tough thing to do to your marriage. And then, you know, Sarah says, we're too old to have kids, so sleep with my, you know, handmaid Hagar from Egypt. And Abraham's like, cool, goes into the tent. And oh man, the rest is history. The Arab-Israeli conflict today is because of that little situation in the tent with Abraham thousands of years ago. These guys were sinners and they made huge mistakes. But the thing I love about Daniel is Daniel approaches God here in Daniel chapter nine. And, and, and on what basis does Daniel attempt to you know, approach the Lord. And this is a, a huge learning experience for us as we look at Daniel. And uh, we look at it in Daniel chapter nine, verse 18. Let's go to there uh, right now and take a look at what Daniel says. Daniel nine eighteen. It says, oh my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name, which is Jerusalem. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. It's that last phrase that's so key. For we, he says, do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. I like the way, you know, the, the uh, New International Version puts it. Um, it says there, that last phrase, for we do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Daniel approaches God, not on his right. If there was any guy that could sort of approach God on that, you know, you'd think it'd be Daniel. What a dude. I mean, here he is as a young teenager hauled off in captivity into Babylon. That's a bummer. But then he's offered the king's meat and the wine and the food of Babylon. And he says, I will not defile myself with the meat and the wine of Babylon. Like this guy is really as a teenager squared away, but he's just constantly doing the right thing and, and having the right attitude in the heart. Even when it became illegal to pray, Daniel, as we learned a few weeks ago, prayed you know, three times a day, kneeling toward Jerusalem, even when it became illegal and they threw him in the lion's den. And, and Daniel was just this massive man of faith. And he had these amazing abilities to, to discern and, and interpret dreams and visions and all this stuff. Daniel was an amazing guy. So if anybody could say, Lord, based on my faithfulness, 
here in Babylon and my willingness to go to the lion's den based on my interpreting of scriptures and dreams and all this, based on my faithfulness to you, Lord, I, I just got one little request to be, to be made and, and, and here it is. But that's not the way Daniel approaches. If anybody could have, it would have been Daniel. But even Daniel says, oh, no, no. I don't approach you based on any of my righteousness. I'm approaching you based on your mercy. What an important thing for you and me. We are a culture of people that are extremely entitled. We feel that we are entitled to be treated a certain way or to be heard. We feel like we're entitled to have a voice and say this or that. And everybody's yelling and screaming today because they're entitled to say it and they know more than everybody else. Oh, we're, we're in a culture where we deserve to be treated nicely and all this stuff. But uh, it's not really... Uh, the biblical worldview. The biblical worldview is you and I are wretched, miserable sinners. Um, this is a forgotten. It's forgotten because today it's not popular in, in many churches and circles to, to preach that you're a wretched, miserable sinner. Instead, it's, it's amazing how they've turned the, the, the true gospel message, they've turned it around from, <laughs> they've turned it around from being, you know, this, this uh, you know, you're a wretched, miserable sinner. And they turn it around to be as it turns out, you're enough. You're good enough. And, and you can approach God based on who you are and what you've done and, and all this stuff. And, and man, we've lost the whole thing. The gospel message is you are not enough. And the world says, no, 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 no. We need to build up self-esteem. No, the Bible says you need to lower your self-esteem. The Bible says esteem others better than yourself. It doesn't say build up your self-esteem. We already have enough of that where that comes from. It's called pride, arrogance, and even being, you know, oh, nobody likes me. That's even prideful and arrogant. It's an amazing thing that we've sort of turned the whole message of humanity's depravity to that we're actually okay and we deserve this or that or the other. If Daniel approaches the Lord not based on his righteousness, then we should also be careful about how we approach God. Because I think Daniel kind of blows most of us, probably all of us, away when it comes to a guy that was walking with the Lord and faithful and the faithful servant of the Lord. Daniel was the man. You and I, man, we actually uh, fall short. The Bible says no one is righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You say, but Brett, I seek Lord. Nope, you don't. Well, how do you know that? The Bible says there's no one that's really truly seeketh God. This is what the Bible says. It's not even hard to find hundreds of scriptures that remind us of how really messed up and miserable we really are. Okay, Brett, uh, enough. We're, we're feeling bad enough already. Thank you. But it's important because you're not hearing that. You're hearing a whole nother message. You're good enough. You're smart enough. And, and people like you. All are lies, especially the last one. <laughs> it's a weird thing, but that's, that's what we choose to believe. So it comes to Daniel's approach, and, and there's a couple things I'd like to explore here um, uh, with, with you about the, the approach that we have toward God, and it needs to be carefully considered, and be careful for this lie that's out there, that you're good enough, and that you and I deserve, you know, to be treated sort of differently somehow. We have to be careful about this. By the way, I was visiting, um, I, I, there was a, this was a, quite a few years ago, but I was visiting a church locally here. It was a, a local church that I'd never met the pastor, but I'd heard good things. And, and they just finished a building and we were thinking about building a building. And, and so I thought maybe I could go just visit. It was the middle of the week and it was, I thought maybe I could just pop in and see their building and maybe meet a pastor or the pastor. But I went in there and, um, and it was very much of a lesson for me. And, and um, my poor staff here at Athey, we've got an, an amazing staff people that work really hard here at Athey, but um, they've heard this story probably 500 times because I never want this to happen here at Athey. Uh, what, what happened? I walked in and went into their front office in the middle of the week and the, the secretary was there kind of doing some stuff at the, and, and she didn't really acknowledge me. I, I was the only one in the room, but I kind of just stood there sort of waiting. You know, I didn't want to be a weirdo and bugger and stuff, but, but finally after a minute or two, she kind of looked up, can I help you? Kind of, can I help you? I said, well, well um, you know, I was just wondering, I'm just, uh, uh, you know, here, I, I've heard good things about this church and I'd love to see your new building. Is there someone, I don't want to bother anybody, but I was just kind of came in with that sort of attitude. And I said, well, I'll see if I can find somebody to give you sort of a tour. And so she went back in the back and did sort of this loop through their office and, uh, and came back out toward the front. 
I'm sorry, sir, there is no one here at this time that's got the time to do that. You'll just have to come back, maybe during one of our services. I said, okay, you know, that, that's fine. Uh, but I was a little shocked that it was, I got kind of a chilly reception. Um, but then suddenly, before I was ready to walk out the door, this lady came out from the accounting office. She came running out and said, your voice sounds familiar. She said, I, you're on KPDQ. Hey, you're, are you Pastor Brett? I said, well, yes, I am. Oh, the church rolls out the red carpet. And they say, oh, Pastor Brett. And suddenly, they, you know, and it was really nice of the accountant. At least she was nice to me. And she gave me the tour. But here was the painful part. As I went through the office getting the tour, the, the junior high pastor was sitting with his feet up on the desk, throwing a baseball up in the air like this. I think he had time to give me a tour. And then we went to the high school pastor's office and there were two guys in there playing cards or something. I'm not kidding, it's a true story. And there were just like people sitting around doing nothing as we went around the office and they showed me, and then we saw the sanctuary. And it was just, it was just a good lesson for me. But, but what, what it made me think of is first, oh Lord, please, Athey Creek staff can never be this way. We need to be loving, receptive. And I think that that's one thing our staff does really well, by the way. Um, and it's, it's an important thing. But, but here's what I really learned is, oh Lord, you know, um, I hope that we're more like you because the Lord receives even the lowest of the low. I thought, man, here, if old Pastor Brett stumbles into a church and says hi, um, what if a homeless dude walked into that church? I'm horrified to think about that. Uh, how would they have treated him or her? Um, and, and what I love about the Lord is you and I, we, no matter who you are, you can approach the Lord and you don't approach him based on who you know or how smart you are, or how much of the Bible you have memorized or, or how rich or wealthy you are, or how successful you might be. We don't approach God on any of our righteousness because guess what? Even our best works are as good as what? Anybody? Filthy rags. That's what the Bible says. And I'm not even gonna tell you the Hebrew word for filthy rags. It makes filthy rags sound wonderful. Uh, but all that to say, uh, we do not make our request of God or even approach God in any way because of our righteousness, but because his great mercy. Man, I love that. And that's important. So let's break it down. There's three things I want to talk about how we approach God. And it's really all him. We approach him based on who he is. It's all him. And first, it's what Daniel's doing here. Number one on your list, if you're jotting them down, it's all him in supplication. Supplication, that's how Daniel's approaching. And the King Jimmy here, it, it uses that very word. Daniel says, for, you know, we do not present our supplications before thee, O Lord, for our righteousnesses, as he says. Supplication. Now, supplication is a form of prayer. In the Bible, there are several modes of prayer. And these are good things to think about. Have you ever thought, man, I need to pray more? And you just kind of think, oh, let's see, Lord, bless our day. And you're kind of, what else should I pray for? And you run out of stuff in like 30 seconds. Well, think, think through the different modes of prayer. Uh, the Bible talks about several. Uh, one of my uh, favorites and, and one that I think the Bible talks much about is the prayer of intercession. I hope that some of you keep a list of people that you're praying for. Yeah, intercession is praying on behalf of other people who you know are hurting or needing help. Um, maybe you keep a list in your journal. Or maybe, maybe even in your Bible. I know people that keep lists in the Bible uh, of, their, of their friends and family members that they want to continually pray for. Um, so intercession on behalf of other people. Um, uh, by the way, did you know there's several things stored in heaven? The Lord actually stores certain things. Um, one of the things the Lord stores in heaven are your prayers. Um, intercession uh, is typified in the Old Testament as, um, as incense burning. You know, there in the uh, holy place, there was the table of showbread on the right and the altar, of, uh, pardon me, the altar of incense in the middle. And then the, the candlestick there on the left as you'd walk in there. But that little altar of incense, what was that all about? Well, the smoke would go up from the holy place and it was a, it was a picture of the intercessory prayer of the saints reaching into heaven. And the Bible says that the Lord stores the prayers of the saints in heaven. Some of you, when you get to heaven, you're going to have, you know, tankers full of prayers held there in heaven. Wow, that was a prayer warrior, you know. Some of you are going to have little baby food jars or little communion cups uh, <laughs> full of your prayers. Oh, here's your prayers that you prayed uh, in your lifetime. Uh, it just depends. But as it turns out, the Lord stores your... By the way, does anybody know what else the Lord stores? Is the second thing he stores. Anybody? Your tears, isn't that something? That the Lord acknowledges your tears. 
and he stores them in a, in a jar. Um, for those of you that have been through a lot of hurts and troubles and difficulty, the Lord knows and he sees that. By the way, uh, there's a lady who invented this new thing that stores your tears. Um, she, she truly did this, this is a true story. She invented a, a, a thing that stores, it captures your tears, freezes them, and then shoots them out of a gun like a bullet. You can shoot your frozen tears at the people that made you cry. <laughs> this came out a couple weeks ago. This is literally the lady. I'm not kidding, this is a true story. Um, quite an invention there. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm gonna get the Google in it right now, Amazon it up. Um, I don't know why I shared that with you. That has nothing to do um, <clears throat> with my study. So you got intercession. <clears throat> Number two, <clears throat> excuse me, you have thanksgiving. And the Bible says, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Um, if you're wondering how to pray, you can pray intercession on behalf of others. You can also pray thanksgiving. Oh, thank you, Lord, for all that you, and, and thank the Lord for what he's done in your life. There's, we have so much to be thankful for, it's not even funny. Uh, so thanksgiving. Uh, and then also, not only thanksgiving, but then you have exaltation, which is you know giving glory and praise for who he is. Thanksgiving is for what he's done. Exaltation or praise is giving, uh, you know, acknowledgement of what, uh, of his character, of his nature. And, and that's something, how good are you at that, by the way? Have you ever thought about that? If you were told to pray prayers of exaltation, how long and what's your list? Uh, let's say, God, you sure are good. One. Uh, you're, you're faithful. Two. Well, you know, there's hundreds of things the Bible tells us about God's nature and his character that he's not just good and, and, and patient, but he's long-suffering to us. He's compassionate and merciful. Um, the Lord is Jehovah, our righteousness. He's our banner. Like there's so much about his nature and character that, that he's gracious and his mercy endures forever. Like, like learning how to be thankful and, and giving praise for his character, that's exaltation. And we should be good at that. And I'll tell you why we should be good at that is we're gonna be doing that for all of eternity. Um, when we see God see, seated upon his throne, we're gonna think, oh Lord, give me more uh, skill in giving you glory because it's gonna be so over the top amazing. You'll want to give God exaltation. So exaltation, and then there's also supplication. Some would also put in their petition, but uh, supplication, petition, similar, and then it's letting your own requests be made known to God. And that is what Daniel is offering to the Lord. He's got a request about the 70 years of captivity of the Jews in Babylon. And so he says, oh Lord, our supplication, our request, please, we, we approach you not based on our righteousness, we come to you based on your righteousness. Now, by the way, Jesus had much to say about approaching God based on you know, him and not on us. Um, Jesus talked to those people that thought that if they talked loud enough or enough, you know, used enough fancy words or much speaking that somehow the Lord would hear the prayer better. And Jesus answered that in Matthew chapter six, verses seven and eight. Jesus said, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knows what things you have need of before you even ask him. Um, this is what we're told to do. Um, to, to be careful that we don't approach God based on our much, thing, uh, pray, you know, much words or much speaking. Um, your prayer can be very simple and God still has the ability to answer, not because of who we are or our King James prayer as we talked a few weeks ago, but um, just he, he already knows. Well, then why should I pray if he already knows what I need? As it turns out, God says you have not because what? You ask not. Uh, he wants us, you parents know what this is about. Sometimes you know what your, key, your kids need, but sometimes when they get a little older, you realize they need to learn to ask and they need to learn to ask nicely. And you won't give it to them until they do that. You remember that. And, and the Lord is kind of like that with us. He says, I want to give you good things. You have not because you ask not. So come and ask, but you got to make sure and ask with the right approach. And it's not, Lord, um, would you bless my life? Because I've been to AC Creek two weeks in a row and listened to that long-winded pastor talk about the Bible. And I went to Wednesday night. I'm basically a religious nut now. Uh, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, and Lord, you owe me. Well, you can't approach God that way. He owes you nothing. 
By the way, going to church is a perspective that we need to remember. We're told not to forsake the assembling of ourselves. So going to church is what the Bible says and you guys are doing the right thing. But be careful about the attitude. It's not a got to, it's a get to. We don't go to church to try to get God's approval. You already have that as it turns out. Well, then I'm not going to church anymore. Well, the reason we go to church is so we can grow and fellowship with one another, that we can learn the scriptures together, worship in a congregational setting. These are all things the Bible says are good for us, whether we know it or not. Uh, some people have forsaken the assembling of themselves. And, and the Lord even says, that's the custom of some, to, to forsake gathering. But we do it because we know it's good for us. Not, it's, it's not a got to, it's a get to. Um, and that's important to know. Jesus also told that amazing parable about approaching God in prayer. And this one hits home because I worry that we fit the category as American Christians, a lot of us fit the category. Verse, verse nine says, Jesus spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. They, they, they hated other people, but they thought, you know, I alone am righteous. And they had this, you know, high and mighty attitude. But then Jesus said, two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Now that's an interesting thing. Um, did you know if you approach God based on your righteousness, you're just praying to yourself. Good luck with that. Uh, this guy's praying to himself and he says, God, I thank thee that I am not like other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I bet he was pointing over to the publican that was out in the distance. Publicans are sinners and all the Democrats are, that's right. And publicans. Uh, no, a publican in the Bible was a, a group of people that we, you know, worldly, godless sinners is the idea. So I'm glad I'm not like this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. But the publican standing afar off. Now, why was he standing afar off? In the temple in those days, the, the religious Pharisee could get very close to the holy place. He had access as a good Jewish Pharisee. But the publican, there was actually a fence that kept them out. And the publican would be over on the other side of that fence, just getting as close as he could, but they wouldn't let him very close. So standing afar off, Jesus said, the publican came. And what did he do? He came like this. He's, um, it says the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Man, Jesus nails this down. You, if you approach God based on your righteousness, you will not be heard. Your supplications will fail to fly. But this guy, he comes, this, this sinner, and he, and he smites his breast, his chest, and he says, oh God, be merciful to me. That's the approach, God's mercy right there. And I love it, the guy that went home justified, what a key word, the word justified there. Um, the doctrinal word, I love this word doctrinally because it means just as if you had never sinned at all. Justification means that God is able to erase your sin and forget your sin, just as if you've never sinned at all. The, the publican that was full of sin went home justified rather than the other dude. Um, that's, that's the grace of God. That's how God works. So we approach God not based on who we are or what we've accomplished, but we, we approach God based on his mercy. It's all him. It's all him. In, first of all, in supplication. Number two, it's all him in our service, the serving of the Lord, ministry. Um, this is an important thing. In the same way we approach God in prayer based on his mercy, it's the same way we approach God when it comes to serve the Lord and, 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 and you know, minister and, and be doing things for the Lord. Paul the Apostle, he says in Philippians chapter one, Paul says, um, I was an abuser. He said, I was injurious. I was a persecutor and a blasphemer, but I obtained mercy and the Lord counted me faithful for the ministry. How was Paul the Apostle allowed to be in the ministry? God's mercy. You and I can serve the Lord, not based on our skills or our great talent. This is something that you might wonder, um, you know, at Athey Creek, I'm so thankful we have, now we have like 1,300 volunteers that make this church uh, work and roll, and I love that. 
And I just love the volunteers we have. And, and there's, a, there's a thing that kind of happens here at Athey where we get a lot of new people say, hey, we want to volunteer. And we're, we're, we're always welcoming people to volunteer. But we also try to nudge uh, our congregation in that way of the reason we all can volunteer and the reason Pastor Brett can be a pastor is because of God's mercy. There's nothing we have to really say, look, you know, I should really be part of the team because I'm amazing. Well, that, that's the wrong attitude. And at Ethan Creek, we really wanna have that humble spirit and realize that the reason the Lord uses Pastor Brett is because he's weak and foolish. He's qualified by that. He's weak and foolish. And the Lord chooses to use the weak and the foolish people to confound the wise. So that when we, our worship team, you know, we'll get this from time to time. Uh, you know, uh, I am a singer and I think you need me here at Ethan Creek. I've noticed that some of your singers really aren't as, uh, you know, I, I can really help out. I was the worship director at the former church that I was at. And we always, now why aren't you there anymore? That's always an interesting story. And, and, and when, when it's kind of like, you need me. We always like say, hey, settle down American Idol. Let's just talk about this for a second. <laughs> Um, see, because, because I love, you know, our worship team is, is um, they're all, if you talk to any one of them, you realize they're not like, I'm pretty amazing. That's why I'm a worship leader here. No, it's more like, man, I'm, I'm amazed that God can use people like us. And, and I just love the, the we've got to have that attitude in all forms of service, whether you're here teaching the Bible or leading worship or teaching Sunday school or out in the parking lot. Um, I love, I love seeing the, the people that volunteer at this church. We have these people that I would say, and from my perspective, there's some high caliber people out there parking your cars. Like you'd be amazed if you knew some of the people out there or some of the people teaching your Sunday school class for your little kids. We have people right now in your Sunday school class who are doctors and nurses uh, who are tending your kids as we speak. And you're like, wow, that seems kind of safe. We've got one class right now. There's a guy in there, he, he was a Navy SEAL and he's a medical doctor watching four-year-old kids. Like that's, that's pretty cool. I like a Navy SEAL and a medical doctor watching my kids. That's really cool. And, and I, I, I look at them and say, wow, they're amazingly qualified. But if you talk to those guys, the people that are in there doing that around the parking lot, they're not saying, you know, I'm doing this because I'm pretty amazing. They're there because they say, man, we've obtained mercy. The Lord is merciful and he's, that's why we qualify. The Lord uses the weak and the foolish. So when you come on to the volunteer crew or, the, or even the staff or elders or pastors, we, we, that's kind of a thing we really work for is reminding ourselves that none of us are qualified. We're weak and foolish and the Lord is merciful. So it's all him in, in this idea of service. Moses had to learn this, by the way. Moses in Exodus chapter three. Why don't you keep your finger here in, in Daniel and flip over to Exodus real quick. Exodus chapter three, um, God calls Moses. A after 40 years, Moses becomes somebody in the courts of Pharaoh. Man, he's living large. Pharaoh, he, Josephus, the ancient works of Josephus, he's a historian from the first century who uh, wrote the Antiquities of the Jews. And he writes about Moses. And in one of the books there, he writes about how Moses at the age of 20 was a war hero by that time in Egypt. He actually conquered the Ethiopian empire as a 20 year old man for Egypt. Like Moses was amazing. And he spent the first 40 years of his life becoming somebody, but then the Lord says, now I want you to become nobody. So he spends the next 40 years of his life outside of Egypt, living in Midian in the backside of the desert, becoming a shepherd, becoming nobody, like forgotten. Um, and what's funny about Moses is he, he, he gets to the good point where he realizes, you know what? I'm just content to be out here in the middle of nowhere watching some sheep. He even names his son, content to dwell there. Like he's really content just to be out there. And that's when the Lord says, now Moses, you're ready to lead the people from Pharaoh's hand. And he calls him. And then Moses for the next three pages argues with God about why he shouldn't be able to do it. This cracks me up. But this is Moses not quite understanding how God rolls. God uses the weak and the foolish. And our service to the Lord is not based on our skill, but on who he is. He's merciful. Uh, check this out, Exodus chapter three, um, verse uh, 11. It says, and Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. And the Lord said, certainly I will be, we will be with thee and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. Don't you love that? Moses like, who am I? And the Lord says, it's not, that's the wrong question. It's who am I? I'm the one who's merciful and can use a guy like you, Moses. And I'm calling you to the ministry. 
Now Moses goes on with his argument. Let's fast forward to chapter four. There in chapter four, verse 10, the Lord continues and now I need you to go and speak for me. And verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am of slow speech and of slow tongue. Now this cracks me up. This is the Lord's answer. Verse 11, and the Lord said unto him, who hath made man's mouth? Um, I made man's mouth. And you're sitting there. Now, Josephus also tells us about Moses. He did have a speech impediment. Maybe a stuttering problem is what Josephus suggests. So here's Moses. Uh, the Lord says, Moses, I need you to be my spokesperson. But, 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 but I can't. I, I stutter and I, I'm a slow speech. And are you kidding me? And the Lord says, who made your mouth? Don't forget, it's not who you are, it's who I am that matters. And the reason I share this part about, you know, it's all him in service is because some of you are afraid to jump into serving the Lord in any way, shape or form because you feel ill-qualified. But you approach this with the same attitude that we pray to the Lord. We don't pray to the Lord based on how amazing we are. It's actually quite the opposite. We're total wretched, miserable sinners. We approach the Lord based on who he is and he is merciful. In the same way we approach the Lord in our service because um, of who he is, he uses the weak and the foolish. And you know, it's amazing. The Lord uses us in spite of ourselves. I really do believe that. Um, I, 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 I've been more and more convinced as time goes by that when the Lord, it came to the Lord looking at my life, he didn't say, wow, there's a guy I can use. I think the Lord said, oh boy, this guy, Brett, how do I get him to go to church and read his Bible? I know, I'll make him a pastor. And if he shows up to church not really ready, he'll look like a complete idiot more than he already is. I think the Lord calls us because we're, we're lacking. I really do. Um, now, the Lord didn't call us to be the same and he wants to grow us and, and, and mature us and draw us, of course, to become more like him. That's our goal. But don't be shocked if God calls you even though you're extremely ill-qualified. Join the crowd. If that's you, that's also me. It reminds me of when Joey, my son who led worship up here this morning, when he was a little tiny tyke, I think like four, four years old, he's like, Daddy, can I help mow the lawn? I'm like, sure. So we get out and fire up the old snapper mower. And there I'm out there and he'd, he'd come out. He wasn't even tall enough to reach the handlebar. So he went to the second rung on the handlebar and he'd stand there and I'd stand up on the higher one and we'd start mowing the lawn. It took me like five times longer to mow the lawn. Uh, but he was there pushing and, you know, helping and, and I showed him how to, you know, remove a spark plug and check the oil and, you know, that's what things dads do. But, um, but I'll never forget, it was a great time when uh, we, we'd finished up and, and we walked into the house and Debbie's like, so what have you guys been up to? And Joey said, yeah, I was mowing the lawn. Dad helped. <laughs> And I wonder if you and I have that same, you know, that same mentality. I was out serving the Lord, you know, doing great things for God. And the Lord's like, yeah, you were kind of in the way most of the time. <laughs> um, but it was fun while it lasted, you know, that kind of thing. I wonder how much we, we take credit for stuff that we really shouldn't. Well, um, I loved it, by the way, because Joey got to an age, I forget, eight or nine, when, when uh, he was officially the guy that mowed the lawn. I didn't have to help anymore. And suddenly, I loved it. It was totally worth it. And then he grew up and moved away and now I'm back to mowing the lawn again. <laughs> it's all him though. The Lord is the one. We get in the way, but the Lord is merciful and he uses people like you and people like me. I love that. But lastly, and, and, and perhaps way more importantly, um, uh, it, it's all him in the area of salvation. In salvation. It's all him in salvation. What do you mean by that? Well, to be saved, that's kind of the most important thing you and I could talk about. And, and for a person to be saved, you have to understand it is all him too. Even as Daniel said, Lord, it's not based on our righteousness that we're gonna pray or serve, but it's also, it's the only way we'll be saved is through your righteousness, through what you have done. Your mercy is the way we'll be saved. And this is an important thing because there's a narrative out there, like I said, in this world, even churches are preaching this it's, it, they, they sort of pretend that it's the gospel, but it's not. If you're going to a church or reading a book or uh, listening to a blog that's basically saying, you're enough, you need to run the other way because you're not enough. You need to remember that we are not enough. We, we can't save ourselves. We're not good enough to save ourselves. The Bible says uh, over and over again, you're not enough. 
You need to have the Lord. Um, you and I, like, why would the Lord even want us is my question, but he does. I love that the Lord values us because I can't really see it. I don't know why he loves us. It's like back in the old days, there was a, in the old days of newspapers, there were classifieds, and there was one that said, Lost Dog, capital letters. Uh, $50 reward, black and tan dog of poodle and German shepherd descent. Quite a mix there, poodle and German shepherd. Flea bitten, left hind leg missing. No hair on rump. Blind and recently neutered, answers to the name of Lucky. <laughs> you know, when I think of that, I think I'm the blind, neutered dog that's, no, you know. Like I'm the three-legged dog. The Lord just says, oh, but I love that dog. I, I want to I redeem. $50 reward for a dog that nobody wants. And the Lord says, not only does he want to redeem you, but he paid the ultimate price. You know, what an amazing thing that the Lord says, I love the world so much that I will give, you know, my only begotten son that whoever believes in, in, in me will not perish, but have everlasting life. The Lord paid the price, the debt that you and I owed, that there was no way we could afford it. We can't, you know, approach heaven, you know, through our own being good enough. That's why Jesus said, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, which is in heaven, but by me. It's Christ alone that saves us. You and I can't save ourselves. And there's nothing to boast about. We can't brag, you know, I'm going to heaven because, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I served at Athey Creek. It doesn't matter. You can, you can serve till you're blue in the face. The important part is that you're saved and you're saved. It's all about him. Your salvation only comes from him. If you don't have this verse or passage memorized, this might be a good one for you. This is a good one. I think almost every Christian should, should at least know this really well because this is where it's at. If you want to talk about how a person's saved, man, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 makes it clear. It's for by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Um, and this is such a key. You're saved by Christ alone. He's the one who saves you. Yeah, but Brett, James says faith without works is dead. Um, we create this false dilemma by thinking that those things are in opposition. They're not. Faith is what saves. For by grace you're saved through faith. And then once faith is engaged and, and it's worked out salvation through God's power in your life by his work, then what's, what's gonna happen is works will be seen. It'll be the natural byproduct of you being saved. You'll start to see good works. Not perfect works, because none of us are perfect. But you'll see a change in your attitude and a change in your life. And it'll slowly but surely, the Lord will start working on you. Where is workmanship created in Christ? You see, that's what the Bible tells us. So, but when it comes to being saved, going to heaven or hell, Remember, being saved, people say, I don't know, what, what am I being saved from? The fires of hell. Because we're wretched, miserable sinners, we're all headed for hell and destruction. But that's why it's called good news. The Lord says, I'll save you by my grace through faith. Grace is the undeserved, unearned favor God wants to show you and me through faith. Not of yourselves. Gift of God. Nobody can boast about their goodness and, and be saved by that. You know, there's so many examples of this. Um, all the Old Testament believers were saved by the same thing. People think that the Old Testament's different than the New and that the Old Testament God's scary and the New Testament God's not scary. Um, what a false understanding of the Bible. The, the people of the Old Testament were saved by the same grace you and I are saved. Oh, but sure, they had the, the sacrificial system and all that stuff. But was, was anybody ever saved by keeping the law? Anybody? The answer is no, the Bible says that. Nobody was ever saved by keeping the law. Um, you know, they tried to keep the law and make sacrifices, but nobody was ever saved by the shedding of bulls, of rams, of goat's blood, none of that stuff. But how did someone be declared righteous? Anybody? If you believe God. Abraham believed God, and so it was counted unto him for righteousness. That's what Genesis 12 says. So the New Testament, book of Romans, spends a whole bunch of time saying the same way Abraham saves, the same way you're saved, by believing in God. Not just believing that he exists, by the way. Satan believes God exists. But to believe and accept what God is saying and doing, that's to be saved. So when you believe that Jesus came to die on the cross, by the way, Jesus died for Abraham's sins too. Even though Abraham lived several thousand years earlier, all the sin of the world, past, present, and future, was, 
put on Jesus when he died on the cross for our sins. And that's how Abraham was saved. That's how you and I are gonna be saved. By grace through faith, that's how we're saved. Now, the reason I share that about the Old Testament believers is because that just gives me so much comfort. When I see David, who was a, um, sure he had the good stuff, but an adulterer, murderer, liar, he was saved by grace. And if David could be saved, well, what about Abraham? Yep, Moses, yep. But you know who gives me some of the most comfort in the Old Testament? A guy by the name of Lot. If I were to give Lot sort of a, a title or a nickname, I'd call him Loser Lot. Because Lot was a loser, a horrible loser. He was maybe the biggest loser I can think of, maybe one of them in the Old Testament for sure. Well, Brett, don't be, I colored the picture. When I was in Sunday school as a kid, Lot running out of Sodom and Gomorrah, and you'd see the fire and so there's Lot running, and you know, you'd see Lot's wife a little stiffer out there, you know, and that, and you kind of color her white and him, you know. Uh, but, but did you know, there's no thing in the Bible that says Lot ever did anything good. You might say, well, Brett, he, he left Sodom, like he was told. No, he didn't. If you actually carefully read the story there in Genesis, it says that the angels came and said, Lot, you gotta get out of this town. We're gonna rain fire and brimstone on this town. You gotta leave. And the Bible says Lot just lingered there in Sodom. He didn't wanna leave. And so you say, but eventually he left. Nope, he never left. What he actually did was he's there lingering and the angels supernaturally picked him up and moved him outside of the city. That's what the Bible says. And then they're outside of the city feeling the heat from Sodom and Gomorrah. They're, like, <laughs> they're a little nervous now. And the angel said, now run for your life, escape, don't look back, don't even come near the plain. And so Lot says, okay. And he was supposed to run to the mountains, flee to the mountains. But what did Lot do? Did, was he obedient? No. He fled to a little town, not the mountains. He went and said, I'm gonna go to Zoar. Zoar's just a little city, I'm just gonna go to Zoar. And the Lord says, you're not supposed to go to Zoar. Okay, go to Zoar if you want. He was rebellious and he went to Zoar. Well, when the fire and brimstone came down on Sodom, you could feel the heat even from Zoar. And so Lot finally kind of freaked out and he went up into the mountains in, and he was there in a cave. And you think, well, that's the end of the story. Well, that's the part you did. That's the part you colored when you're in Sunday school. The rest of it, you didn't color this. Lot's two daughters got their dad drunk, had incestuous relationships with their dad and became pregnant by their dad in the cave. And the two girls give birth to these two boys, Ammon and Moab. Um, and the, the, these you know, grandsons of Lot, sort of in this weird, they became the worst enemies of Israel, the Ammonites and the Moabites. Lot was a loser. He did horrible stuff. But here's why I find comfort. In the New Testament, the Lord gives Lot a nickname and it's not the one I gave him, loser Lot. Does anybody remember what does God call Lot in the, in the New Testament? Righteous Lot. I'm like, huh? I don't see that in the Old Testament. I see loser Lot. But isn't it amazing that God could take a, 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 a worthless dude like Lot who slept with his daughters and had babies and did all this crazy, got drunk and was living in Sodom and partying down and like, come on. But the Lord says, nope, his name. In fact, it's there in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. The King James, I love the word. It doesn't say righteous lot. That's the newer translations. Good word, righteous. But the King James says, and the Lord delivered just lot. And that doesn't mean only lot, just lot. It means just, in the word that we talked about earlier, justified. You could almost read it, and the Lord justified Lot, just as if he'd never sinned, vexed with the filthy conversation, or you might say conversation, not just the words, it's the profession of the wicked. For that righteous man, that's what he's called, dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. He lived among unrighteous people and he was vexed by that unrighteousness. But as it turns out, Lot also believed God even though he did all those horrible things, he makes it in the New Testament as the guy called righteous Lot or just, justified Lot. You say, well, why does that bring you comfort, Brett? If Lot can be saved, so can I. And if, if Lot can be saved, so can you be saved. And it's, it has nothing to do with you. It's all him. It's all the Lord's doing. You can't add to salvation. You can't improve upon salvation. Salvation comes fr from God and God alone. Don't forget that. Bible's clear on that one. Um, it's funny how pastors and preachers, everybody used to teach that even 30 years ago. Like most 
90% of churches used to just teach that. Um, for some reason, we've got this harebrained doctrine that you're good enough and you don't, if you want to be saved, if you could become a Christian, you can go to our church. Like that's the prize? Going to our church? That's the booby prize. That's why, that's why people say, I'm not going to church. I find that there's a bunch of hypocrites in church. And I always kind of laugh because it's like, yeah, just like you find cancer patients in the oncology unit. You find Christians in church, same. We're all dying, horrible, wretched sinners who found grace in the sight of God. By his grace, we're saved. Going to church is not what you get when you become a Christian. Um, becoming a Christian is what keeps you out of hell and lets you go to heaven and be saved. We haven't presented that as much anymore in churches. No wonder people are leaving by the droves. I think there's a myth out there that, um, that um, churches are dwindling in America. You hear that all the time. And, and you're hearing it from pastors and churches, but it's in their little microcosm. People are bailing out of the church. It's these churches that have um, embraced progressive Christianity and wokeism and, and forgot the true gospel, that were wretched sinners who need to be saved by God's grace through the cross and Jesus Christ alone. And, and because of that, um, the churches have lost their direction and people are like, yeah, we're not into this anymore. It's not that entertaining or it's not that much fun. That's not what it's about. It's about not going to hell, about going to heaven. And what's funny is the churches that are still teaching the word and the Bible and talking about what the scriptures actually really do say and not wokeism or what's really popular or what people wanna hear in their little tickly ears and all that. The, the churches that are preaching the word, they're packed out right now. There's no more room. Kind of like here. Sorry about you guys sitting back there in another zip code. Sorry about that, <laughs> you guys back there. Um, glad you're here. But uh, it, it's, it's, it's a funny thing to watch what's going on. And, and if, if pastors only knew if they just stick to the gospel of Jesus Christ and his holy word, people are hungry for the word. They're sick of your stupid opinion and your wokeism, but they do wanna hear what God has to say as it turns out. It's all him. It's all the Lord. The Lord is the one who gets credit for everything. And that's why and how you and I, we can approach him, whether it's approaching him through prayer or in service, worship, or, in, or even in salvation. It's all him. The Lord is the one who does it all. That's why Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. What was finished? The work of salvation. It comes from him and him alone. So if you're a Christian, rejoice today and say, oh, I'm so glad it's based on him. If it was based on you and I being good enough, we should all be very nervous. But because it's based on his righteousness and his mercy, we, it's a slam dunk. It's a done deal. And we can be confident, not in ourselves, but we can be confident in the Lord and his ability to save us. What a joy, what a glory that is. May the Lord give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church. In Jesus' name, let's pray together. Lord, how thankful we are for your word and just these reminders, basic Christian truth from your word. But Lord, I, I admit that sometimes we forget that it's all you, that you're the one who, by your grace, allows us to, to ask of you anything. It's all you. It's by your mercy that we're able to serve you and do anything. But above all, it's, it's all you, Lord, that saves us from our sins and sends us to heaven based on your mercy and your grace. I pray that we'd all be very cognizant of this truth and not ever forget that we don't deserve any good thing. Help us to have the right attitude. Forgive us for our entitlements, thinking we deserve this or that or the other thing. Lord, help us to have right thinking. But we do pray for those who've yet to be saved, yet to understand that they can't be saved by their goodness. Uh, those that still need to hear the, the gospel and, and have their heart changed. Lord, would you just tap them on the shoulder? even spiritually right now, that they'd know their need to accept the free gift of salvation. Lord, you tell us you must be born again. And, and you tell us in your word that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, that God raised him up from the dead, it says you will be saved. So Lord, for the unsaved, soften their heart even right now. Just keeping your heads bowed and eyes closed with Christians being in an attitude of prayer right now. If you're here or online this, this morning and you hear this and you've never accepted Christ, you've never um, acknowledged that it's all him who will save you. Maybe somebody told you if you're good enough, you might make it to heaven. That's just not in the Bible at all. 
But if you, if you need that salvation, it's there for the taking. That's the beauty for God so loved the world. He loves you that much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, I love that, whoever, even to the uttermost, the Bible says, that, the furthest person out there, even that far, the Lord says, I can save. And he loved you so much. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. If that's you and you want that, I'd love to pray with you. I'd like to uh, just pray a prayer of confession of faith. This will change your life. My mom shared the gospel with me at the ripe old age of five. And she said, Brett, you're a sinner. Do you believe that? I was like, yes, mom, I'm thoroughly convinced. It didn't take much convincing, even at five for me. But she had me accept Christ there. And from that day forward, I have never once regretted being able to accept Jesus as my savior. I hope you will too. If that's you, I won't embarrass you, but with everybody's heads bowed and in prayer, if that's you, would you just acknowledge that? Say, Brad, I wanna accept Christ today. Would you acknowledge that by looking up at me and give me a quick wave? And I'll just acknowledge you uh, before we pack it up. Anybody at all before we go, I'm gonna look around just for a second and and just kinda, I see you right there. Good, 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 awesome. Over here, good, nice. Way in the back there, I see you. Way, way, good, awesome. Good. See you there, good. Lord sees your heart and he knows he's able to give you his undivided attention. That's because God is, you know, infinite. He's not spread thin. He he can focus every bit of his attention on you, the Bible teaches. And if you just pray this prayer of confession from your heart, through your mouth, the Bible says you'll be saved. By doing this, you're, you're repenting. You're acknowledging that you're a sinner. And um, that's the first thing that you kind of have to understand, that you, you're a sinner. And you're, the Bible says the wage, the cost of sin is death. Not just dying, but death and hell. And you're saying, I, I acknowledge my sin. And, and that's say, I, I just, I'm changing my mind. I want to be saved from my sin and turning to Christ. And then as you become a Christian, you'll start to see the Lord change your life. And it's, it's a miracle that God does. But if you accept this right now, and if you raised your hand, if you're online, you can pray this also with us. Um, and you can accept Jesus. So I'm gonna pray this prayer of confession. I'm gonna ask all of the church, let's all pray this supporting these seven or eight folks here in the room right now. Let's just uh, pray this out loud and the Lord will hear us and he'll hear you as you accept the Christ Lord. Dear Father in heaven, I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins, that he rose up from the grave and that I'm forgiven. Help me to walk with you. Thank you for saving me. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Lord, bless these people who've just confessed you May they know that the burden of their sin is lifted from them, Lord, and just sense your love and your goodness. Lord, um, bless them with Christians to come alongside of them and strengthen them, even disciple each other and teach us more of your word. Bless, Lord, we pray. And we just conclude this service rejoicing. It's all you. You've done it all, Lord. Um, We owe you everything. You owe us nothing, but you're still kind and merciful. We're so thankful. We approach you based on that. Bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.